Welcome to the Internal Communications Podcast. We're here to kickstart a revolution in internal communications. Businesses today are entirely dependent on talent, and that makes internal comms the biggest source of untapped potential in companies. In less time than the average Netflix binge session, we'll bring the most innovative internal communications together and push the field into the future. Subscribe and don't miss our episodes. Now introducing your host, Jonathan Davis. Good day and welcome to another episode of the Internal Communications Podcast. Today, I've got a guest all the way over from Japan, which actually that side of the continent we've not covered yet before. So I'm really excited for this. Today, we're joined by Chris Colucci. So Chris, welcome. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Yes, well, uh, thanks for having me, Jonathan. I'm uh, happy to be representing Asia, uh, even though I don't uh, look like I would be representing Asia. Originally from uh, New York and the US, and I've been living out in Japan now for about 15 years. So it's definitely my new home. Uh, And what do I do? I am the head of the uh, tech ops and communications team at Kikokushijo Academy, which is a bit of a mouthful to say. Uh, We are an after school school, uh, so an education institution, and we focus on returnee students. So these are students, uh, Japanese students that have lived abroad in English speaking countries, uh, you know, for their family's work. And then they come back to Japan. That's the returnee bit. um, And they go to Japanese school, but they want to keep up their native level English. So instead of going to like a a, a standard conversation school, they come to our school and we focus uh, on those students and their needs. So actually, before we jump into the actual topic that I wanted to discuss, what is the reason why you're here to begin with? Just a little bit about the school, because actually to me, you're almost underselling it a little bit because what you do, as I say, is really, really important, right? You're essentially, you're opening the world to return these students because the way you described it before to me is that they often have a near native or native level of English by the time they come back to Japan. And, you know, they're obviously back in Japanese society, I guess a place where English is not used as frequently, but the world is their oyster a little bit more because for them, they speak They've seen the Western side, how the Western side, the culture works, also how the language operates. So they should have the biggest advantage on the job market, right? Is that kind of what plays into? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, you're correct. The world is our oyster. And one of the roles um, that we play as a school is reminding them that the world is our oyster because of their unique experience. Um, a lot of times there's immense pressure on them to fit back into Japanese society. But after living abroad for so many years, it's really difficult for them to do so, right? They, they truly are bi, bilingual, bicultural. Um, so yes, they, they do have a leg up, um, but I think Japan has uh, not quite fully embraced um, the, the gem that is the returnee student. Um, Japan obviously does well on the world stage. Uh, you know, it's got a great economy, uh, but it's um, well known that uh, uh, their language skills are not really up to par with some of the other emerging, I shouldn't say emerging nations, but, you know, China, for instance, uh, their English levels are much higher. Um, it's, they still get the job done, but if they were, if Japan, Japan society as a, as a lar- at large would embrace these kikokushijo uh, for um, their ability to seamlessly uh, merge Eastern and Western culture and bridge that gap. I think Japan would be leaps and bounds ahead of where it already is. So a part of what we do, yes, obviously we keep up the English education, but we're, 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 growing, we're growing solid citizens, uh, good people. And we're reminding them that their experience um, isn't something that they should be ashamed of. It's something that they should be proud of. I really think that's awesome. So that already makes me excited to just talk to you about, you know, surely for a company that you worked for. Um, That said, I would like to dive a little bit 
into the cross-cultural communication aspect. And specifically when it comes up, you know, we have a lot of internal communicators that work in global companies. And what I hear a common struggle is for these people that operate the global companies is that internal communicators will often sit in Europe or North America or anywhere else in America, but their company will be situated everywhere else, including the APAC region. And what we see a lot is that the engagement numbers within Europe and America are somewhat high versus APAC where it's somewhat low. Most of them say that this is because of cultural differences. So I think I would like to dive into that for a second and see if maybe you have some tips for the audience, especially being the fact that you come from New York, you are situated in Japan. So I'm sure that there are some golden nuggets there. So stay tuned. But first, we have to dive into the subject matter at hand, which is your job position is really interesting because you actually marry tech and internal comms or IT and IC together. So tell us a little bit about what is it exactly that you do, how that came to exist, because you make it seem like it's effortless, like it should be this way. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's funny you said that phrase uh, to marry the two. Uh, I, I don't actually see them being as uh, separate entities. So I, I never thought of merging them because they were always together in my mind. Um, so when I started at this company, uh, we, uh, our technology, what were we using? So uh, we had a server, but it wasn't, when you think server, um, you might be thinking something a little bit more grandiose than what we were using. We were using like a Mac mini, which was used to store and access like Microsoft Excel sheets and, and Word documents, um, which meant uh, if one person at one school had the Excel spreadsheet open, uh, someone else at another school couldn't, couldn't open it or edit it. So it oh, was, no. yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not talking 10, 15 years ago. This is four years ago. <laughs> so uh, my first thought was, okay, we need to get ourselves on the cloud uh, and be using collaborative documents, right? So that, that was step number one. Um, so I, I transitioned the whole company over into uh, Google Workspace uh, at the time, G Suite. Uh, and then when I began, I was working closely with the vice president of the company who, you know, for, for a small company, he wears many hats uh, and still does. And so I was just kind of looking at all of the different things that he was doing. And a lot of them involved communications, like communicating with staff members, teachers, assistants, um, other head teachers. And so I just went, I saw basically uh, his methodology and it was primarily in-person and email, which is personal, yes, uh, the in-person bit, but the email bit is a little uh, uh, come and gone, right? There, there's no database of information. There's no wealth of knowledge accumulating from one year to the next that people could put, point back to and look at. Um, so I, I viewed my role as helping him with the communications bit, right? At the same time that I was helping all of the admin folks um, get organized there. And to me, technology was the one solution that solved both problems. And so, um, you know, I, I guess you could say if, you know, you, you, give, um, you give someone a hammer and everything looks like a nail, to me, everything can be solved through uh, properly uh, uh, administered technology. And so that's, that's where I began. Interesting. So you looked at a communication problem. So as a technology consultant and then, okay, great, you've got that kind of basis going on, but you solved that problem essentially, right? You've got your technological infrastructure, which sounds very advanced, but you've got the technology to do what it is that you need, right? So, because you're also taking care of communications right now, right? You're an internal communicator. It's not just the tech side. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my initial thought was we need an internal website for our company. Um, and so I started uh, you know, researching internal websites and we were already using Google Workspace. So Google Sites was the easiest thing to begin with. Um, and so I just started slapping that together. Um, but it was so new and, and, and foreign to our company, the concept of posting announcements rather than sending an email. Um, and so I, I quickly realized, okay, so whatever the platform is, that's not the largest hurdle right now. Right now, the hurdle is to change people's habits and thinking that, oh, this is something that might be useful, not just this week or next week, but perhaps next year to go back and reference. So it, it was, um, the technology was there, uh, but the, the biggest hurdle was just convincing folks that there is a need for uh, a slightly more thoughtful communication uh, in, in a public way, right? Um, and the, one of the reasons why it was a hurdle is the company was doing fine without it, right? So, uh, but I wasn't trying to go from um, okay to good. I was trying to go from good to great. So I had to convince them that we needed we needed a new path. So how did you ever start convincing them? Because that sounds like tricky business, especially when there's no actual pressing need for it. Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, it <laughs> The solution I came up with was not scalable. It was do everything myself. So I was just literally asking every single person, what, what do you do in your job? Tell me about your job description. What are things that you do that other people might benefit from knowing, you know, cross department in a sense. Uh, and I just posted and created everything on their behalf. Right. Um, and that, that ended up resulting, uh, you know, maybe three years later, uh, two different uh, Google sites merged together with over 10,000 pages of information. Uh, it, yeah, it, it, was, it was a lot, but it was definitely worthwhile. And obviously I wasn't um, alone that whole time, right? As the process came along, people started to see value in it um, and started to take, a, take an active part themselves. So I think that's interesting because we speak a lot about, you know, the soft skills and essentially the hard skills of an internal communicator and assertivity and productivity is a big one. Internal comms gets overwhelmed with requests, yada, yada, yada. Everybody who's listening to this has heard this a million times before. So it becomes very difficult to put yourself in a position where you can be a little bit more proactive instead of reactive. Do you think that, first off, kudos in taking that approach because you said, I'm just going to do this and I'll prove that it's worth it. Right. Yeah, it was the only option. <laughs> so do you think because you kind of maybe came out initially a little bit from the tech side that that you've had that kind of assertivity within you or is it just something that's part of chris colucci or is it the company that really puts you in that position uh i would say a little bit of column a a little bit of column b uh so my background prior to joining this company i mean i've been a teacher for years at the international school level um teaching uh, history, anthropology, psychology. Um, and then uh, during that time, I also was um, a fitness instructor. I was a group fitness instructor. I had started my own gym in Tokyo. And these three things sound like completely opposite worlds, right? Teaching in a classroom, uh, coaching, coaching a class, and then internal communications. But in reality, it's kind of all the same thing. Uh, you're trying to get people from uh, one, one spot to another, right? To an end goal. And so you have to coach them. And throughout the process of change, habits need to be formed. Uh, some habits need to be let go. New ones need to be created. So I, I just, um, I took my previous experiences in the classroom and as a fitness coach, and I just applied them in this position here, right? And I didn't, I didn't look at this as um, uh, something that I wanted to do. I looked at it as we will all benefit from this. And, uh, and I coupled that with 
talking to each person individually as often as I could, even though it was time consuming. And I figured out what their needs were. And I made sure that I spoke to their needs so that they can see the benefit to themselves. So that's actually, that's a very nice and tactical approach to stakeholder management. Take everybody and ask them what's in it for them because it's that what's in it for them factor that's going to win people over, right? If you're just saying, hey, here's something sorted out, it's not going to work. But if you said, essentially, what you did is you scoped people's problems, which is clever because you scope at people's problems and then you give them the solution. They're automatically going to buy in a lot quicker, right? Yep, yep. Indeed. And this is this this is probably one of the reasons why um, communication teams that are not on site are not in direct connection with the people that they're, um, you know, creating communications for. They might struggle, right, because they don't really have that insight um, that would come from having frequent conversations. And understandably so at scale, that's hard to do. Um, but if you can do it, it's it's worth it. This podcast is free of charge and commerce and only exists to bring you the unscripted experiences and opinions of today's best professionals. Whether it's AI, employee engagement, diversity and inclusion or analytics, we've got you covered. To keep this podcast free, we would like to ask that you share it with as many people as you can and rate us, particularly on iTunes. All it takes for our mission to succeed is a couple of five-star ratings. So is there maybe... I mean, I know you're not in the situation, so maybe this is a little bit of a tricky question, but what would you say to people who are not in a position where they can speak with all their important stakeholders kind of in person? How would you go about those approaches? Because you can tell, it's not like you can talk to people. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so in, in these in larger, larger companies, you have to um, you have to rely on the leaders at every level within an organization, right? So um, you have you have to inspire others to uh, believe in the same thing that you're believing, but it's you're just approaching it one individual at a time, right? So let's say you take a director of a certain region and you speak to them and you ask them, you know, what are some um, issues or what are some things that you think your region could be doing better, right? And uh, it, it may, might be a communications issue, might be this and that. And then you explain to them um, some approaches that um, you've seen work in the past in other regions, right? So now what you've done is you've figured out what issues they've had. Um, you've uh, related to it. You've, you've made them feel heard. You've uh, talked about another scenario, something similar you've seen, shown how that was successful there. At this point, you haven't actually even offered any advice. You're just having a conversation. They might then turn around and ask you, hey, Got any ideas? And then as soon as you have that person's buy-in, right, that'll take care of however many hundreds or thousands of people after that. So it's still, even, even at a large scale, it still has to happen from, from the individual level. Okay, so basically you don't get leadership buy-in. You get a leader to buy-in and then you move on to the next leader and you kind of create that snowball effect, right? Yeah, I, I mean, this is, I found that this, this is helpful. It's definitely time-consuming and difficult, um, but if there's anything I've learned from the, from the fitness world as well, is that anything that's time consuming and difficult is probably worth it. Oh, that's, that's okay. Now I'm seeing what you said and those seem, things may seem unrelated, but they actually come together. It's rich, clever, Chris. Absolutely. Clever. So there's then, I guess the other topic I really want to pick your brain on and knowing that, you know, I want to be obviously aware of like the cultural sensitivities and that stuff and so this is coming from a good place a place where we hear a lot of people that work in global companies that kind of struggle to get the APAC side as engaged as the EMEA and American side now 
an assumption usually is with within Western Europe or in Europe and America, the culture is kind of like, if you stand out, it's a good thing. Whereas in APAC, it might be a bit different depending on which countries in APAC, because there's also massive differences there, right? How do you feel about that? What have you observed being an American that went to Japan? What kind of tips would you give to internal communicators in global companies that maybe aren't situated in the APAC region, but they're still trying to get them engaged? Yes, this is a, this is an excellent topic. One we, we could you know, talk for hours and hours about this topic alone. Um, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. And I must say, I, I have probably committed every cultural faux pas you can imagine uh, in 15 years of being here in Japan. Um, w- one thing that's really helpful to know um, is that it's, it's okay uh, to recognize uh, general differences in communication styles across cultures if the goal is to foster better communication, right? So one of the ways we use that is um, Japan is a uh, high context culture. That is to say, a lot of their communication is based on the assumption that a lot of context surrounding the conversation is already understood, right? So um, what does that look like? That means uh, a lot of times things aren't said, but understood. Uh, Tone, uh, variance in voice, uh, these things go a long way in communicating uh, between people. Uh, the, The opposite of this is a low context culture. Um, a lot of Western countries uh, or English-speaking countries fall in this category, uh, U.S., Canada, et cetera. Uh, and these are cultures that, uh, you know, w- what, what, you, what you say is what you get. You, and, and they value um, lots of information, right? Um, so in those types of conversations, you can imagine that um, information is less likely to fall through the cracks, whereas in a high uh, contact culture, information may fall through the cracks. That is true if you are not in tune with that culture. So the Japanese style of communication works really well for the Japanese. The Western style works really well for folks from the West, right? The challenge is then what do you do when you come together? I, I think the, the two biggest things that we rely on um, at our company is awareness and forgiveness. So awareness, as soon as you're aware that this is a style, this is a preference, uh, you know, with the person in front of you, then um, it doesn't come as a shock when it when it happens, right? You're you're more uh, alert in the moment to be able to recognize, oh, okay, maybe this person might mean this. Maybe I should clarify this, right? And the reverse is true. The forgiveness part uh, is that it's if someone doesn't communicate in the way that you want, it's not their fault, right? It's just the style that works really well for them. So one of the things that we, one of the um, the cultural uh, points that we try to teach everyone is the platinum rule. Uh, have you ever heard of the platinum rule? No, what is that? Okay, so the golden rule is treat others as you would want to be treated, right? The platinum rule, this is more of a management technique, but it applies to uh, international communication. Treat others as they would want to be treated. In other words, figure out what works for them, right? If you can meet them in the middle or at least understand where they're coming from, you are way more likely to um, have a smooth and efficient conversation, but it has to come with awareness. So a little bit of, a little bit of studying, a little bit of reading, getting to know, getting to know your counterparts, it, it goes a long way. Okay, so I'm going to make a shameless plug here because we once did an episode with a very talented user experience designer who the entire topic of the episode was that if content is king, then context is queen. And those two go together and they can't be seen as separate things, right? It's contextual. Like the context 
in which you receive a message is incredibly important. So it's really interesting that you said that Japan, for example, the high context as a country is I'm recognizing I'm based in the Netherlands, right? It's famous for their directness and kind of bluntness and high amount of contact within messages. So that's already an eye opening kind of contrast between the two. I guess what I want to know, okay, we're in a global company. We can't always speak in person. We cannot always do video calls because for example, it's the end of the afternoon for you. And it's the start of the morning for me. So a lot of context gets lost. That tone of voice that you spoke of, that you're basically relying on, and in large amount of cases, you know, you're using textual-based communication, depending on the system you have in place. So, I mean, how would you, what would you advise communicators that are on a global scale that need to rely on written communication, and how can it make that more appropriate for the APEC region or specifically Japan? So that's a great question. Um, yeah, when it comes to written communication, so all right, we have we have email, we have um, chat, um, and even even different types of ch- chatting systems will kind of warrant a different different use case. Um, and then obviously, like uh, official notices or, or things that go out that way. Um, I I would encourage again leaders at each level to talk to people on their team. Uh, it, it sounds very meta, but talking about talking goes a very long way. I'll give, I'll give you an example from my own team, and then we can extrapolate out from there. So uh, on my team, we have, um, we have uh, Japanese men, Japanese women, Western men, Western women, uh, people from all over the world, lots of different countries, lots of different nationalities, lots of different generations, right? We have folks in, from the 20s to 50s. So all of these people, if you ask them one-on-one, uh, tell me what type of message would you send by email? What type of message would you send by text? What type of message would you, let's say, post on, on an internal website? You'll, you might get different answers from every single person based on where they're from, what kind of context, culture they grew up in, uh, oh, and just their own experience uh, uh, that they bring from other workplaces, right? If you don't have this conversation, uh, there's a very small chance that you're going to get it right. <laughs> or you might uh, think that you have a very, um, you're using the correct channel for, the, for what you think is, is, is right, but it's not being received that way, right? Successful communication is when what you think you say is what the other person thinks they hear. And the method, so I'll say that one more time, because this, this was said to me by a, uh, uh, my philosophy professor in, in university. Uh, what successful communication is when what you think you say is what the other person thinks they hear. So there are a few layers there, right? There's what you're thinking you're saying, what's actually coming out, and then the same thing is happening on the other person's end. But in the middle is also the medium, the the the, the deliver the way the message is delivered. So in our team, we just had a conversation about talking, uh, uh, and we we created agreed upon team rules that we're going to use email in this fashion. We'll use our internet in this fashion. We'll use chat in this fashion. And since then, it's been, it's been pretty seamless, pretty flawless. And then what we did is once we had a proof of concept, once that went well, I then went to our other department, um, you know, our human resources department. I had a conversation with them. And again, I started out the same way. Do you, you know, how's your communication on your team? Uh, and then the conversation rolled from there. But so for that to happen, I guess you need a lot of things. First off, you need to actually ask what your people want, which is a common mistake that I see. You know, 
even as internal communicators, right? If you're in a global company, let's say 5,000 people, which is even a massive global company. So you've, you've never been to every office and you never met every person. So it's very easy to think that your style of communication will work there. I guess that that's the awareness part you're talking about, right? That awareness aspect. And then second, I guess you also need to be very much aware of all the technology that you have at bay, because it's not just about, oh, we've got an internet and we have an ESN and we've got a chance to win. We've got that. But it's also about learning to really categorize how each medium works. And what I'm taking from you is, which is really interesting. Normally when I have communication tools, I categorize them into three categories. I take, I base those categories on speed. You've got static, which is slow communications that doesn't need updating more than every quarter, let's say, right? Your internet page or corporate video, something like that, right? Then you've got dynamic. That's a little bit faster. Not so fast that you can't keep up with it if you're not in the same time zone though. So for example, posting on your enterprise social network or even an email is dynamic communication. Not a great example because it gets siloed in people's inboxes. Exactly what you said before, right? And then the rapid side of communications is, you know, things like Slack, Google Chats, a quick one-on-one just to get stuff done. I guess actually what you're saying is that, okay, maybe that's a theory would still apply, but then would you categorize those tools based on what people actually say it is instead of you determining what it is for them, right? It's about going out and asking people, how do you use this tool? What do you expect from this tool? What do you expect from others using this tool? How would you, how did you even bring that all together? Did you have a massive Excel sheet with a whole bunch of research questions that you've pulled together? Or was it a little bit, you know, more fast and loose, so to say? Uh, it, it was probably a combination of both. It was, uh, we, we recently actually switched over from um, Google Sites to another intranet and the, the new intranet is very dynamic. And what we realized is we didn't have anything quite like it. And so we, we took that as an opportunity to change people's perceptions on how to communicate. Uh, because it was, in a sense, a, a, a new method of communication, right? So, yeah, we did go around. We we just kind of asked people on a spreadsheet, like, what do you use chat for, right? And we, we got a list of things. And then we found out, what do you think chat, where, what are chats at the merits, right? Where does it fall short, right? And they, you know, the, the common thing would be like, oh, you know, I, I leave for two days and then I come back. There's 400 chats. I'm not reading it, but I miss important things as a result. We're like, okay, so now we're seeing the way people tend to use, uh, you know, this, like you said, really quick. Um, but we noticed that there were important things being buried in there, right? So um, w- when we were making the switch over, uh, we uh, uh, did our research in this way. And then what we made sure we did is that when the, when the new method of communication came out, we, <laughs> we sold it in a way that it was directly solving all of those problems. It's, it's almost like we turned into a marketing team for a little bit. Um, but what we realized that that was actually quite helpful because um, uh, a new communication tool um, is an opportunity to change the game a little bit, right? So that might be a, that might be a piece of advice for a larger company that is that is struggling a little bit, right? Um, sometimes if you just come in over the top with something that is completely new, but also is proven to solve some known problems, sometimes buy-in is quicker than if you went the slow route. Hmm. Nice. I like that. That's a really good tip. And I think, again, that speaks to, I guess, your modus operandi in general, right? It's assertivity is being proactive and it's respectful, of course. You know, you're not barging through anything. You're actually helping people solve their problems. 
but it didn't come from you just sitting and waiting for people to help you. Right. Yeah, no, must, must be proactive. Have, we have to be proactive. And, you know, um, if anything, this uh, pandemic that we're going through is a great example of why we must be proactive, right? So um, when uh, our school shut down, we quickly moved all of our operations online in 48 hours. We had the infrastructure to do it. Um, if we had that uh, <laughs> mini Mac server with the spreadsheets that can only be edited by one person, we, we, we wouldn't be talking here today because the school wouldn't exist. Um, so it, it was that proactivity. It was that um, quadrant two, if you're familiar with the four quadrants, something that is very important, but not urgent. Um, it's, it's investing time in those types of activities um, that you don't know how they're gonna pay off, uh, but more times than not, they do. Uh, and this is one of those cases where, um, uh, we were we were investing in the future communication that we didn't know we needed. Nice. Okay. So to anyone listening that's trying to argue a case for better communication tools, which I know a lot of our listeners are right now, because that's one of the things that we've made very clear to everybody worldwide. You're in a quadrant two situation. That means check out the quadrants, read up on them, because I think that's a really smart tip. I. I do remember that it may not be super urgent for some people, but it's extremely important and it's going to be a massive missed opportunity in the future for any company that's in on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chris, thank you so much. This was enlightening. I really appreciate the conversation. I like how we managed to cover technology and how we managed to cover the cross-cultural side of things. So thank you very much. And I'll talk to you in the near future. My pleasure. I'll be happy to come back anytime. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Internal Communications Podcast. We're dedicated to creating more and more amazing content for you, so please subscribe on your favorite channel. You can find all the episodes back on our website, www.happio.com podcast. And there are more supporting resources on happio.com blog. Feel free to reach out to Jonathan too. You can contact him by sending a mail to jonathan at happio.com or connect with him on LinkedIn. We're building a community, so don't forget to share this podcast on your social media platform.